This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program committed to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just one button, hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You will be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, 340-9585. Hey, because it's Friday, I always like Fridays just because we're getting ready for the weekend. I was talking with my producer today, and everybody says, oh, I love Fridays because we get some time off. Well, this is when we go to work. So uh, tonight we will have uh, our our Friday night New Testament Bible study. We are in Ephesians chapter 5, and this is actually the second in a three-part um, series of studies on husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. So that's tonight here at 7 o'clock at Calvary Chapel. If you are home and unable to get here, you can watch it live stream by going to calvarysa.com. And then, of course, Sunday is the time for all of us to be in church and worship the Lord and be taught His Word. Uh, I like work days. Tomorrow morning, we have prayer here every Saturday morning, uh, corporate prayer, 9.30 to 10.30. So weekends are busy, but that's a good, good thing. Well, let's get to some questions while we wait for your phone calls. Uh, the first uh, question is an anonymous one. And he or she says, what is the best argument against the truth of Christianity? I want to explore all possibilities. Now, I'm going to apologize up front and honest because I don't know uh, really what you're asking me here. There is no argument, uh, certainly no good argument against the truth of Christianity. Our faith isn't just some fairy tale. It's not something that people have made up to make them feel better about something that happens when they die. Um, the arguments for Christianity uh, are found in the truth. We have historic evidence for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's been a lot of people throughout history who claimed to be uh, the, the Messiah or the Christ or the Savior or some other um, um, representative of God, uh, but not one of them has ever died. 
Not one of them has ever um, risen from the dead to live again, only Jesus. And so when you say I want to explore all possibilities, you know, the best thing that you, you can understand is that the empty tomb ends any need to explore any other possibility. You know, truth matters. And truth isn't what we feel, or truth isn't what somebody tells us. It is. Truth is demonstrated. It's, it's something that we can rely on. And uh, anonymous, uh, to, to try to find an argument against the truth of Christianity, uh, there just isn't one that passes the, the, the muster. So I, I, I may be missing what you're trying to tell me there, but this is really the best I can do, given the, the, how vague your question is. You might want to try to uh, rewrite it or rethink it and send it to me. But remember, um, truth by definition is mutually exclusive. Um, Jesus either is the Son of God who is God the Son, or he isn't. If he is, then our truth then becomes that we have to follow him, we have to obey him. Uh, if he is not the Son of God or God the Son, then he's just another crazy person who claimed to be. But the truth is, and we've demonstrated this time and time again on this program, um, we don't have to apologize for what we believe to be true. The evidence is overwhelming. I hope that makes sense to you. Anonymous, if you need to rephrase your question, please just let me know. Let's go to Cindy calling from San Antonio Online 1. Cindy, good to hear from you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, Pastor Ron. It's happy Friday again. <laughs> it know, comes quickly, I'm, doesn't it? It does. It just seems like like it was Friday yesterday. You had a <laughs> call, and, um, and it was a few days ago, maybe, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm getting kind of in a time warp, I think. But um, it was about, somebody was asking about why we would pray if God already knows, you know, what's going to happen and he has control of everything. And I instantly thought of these three words, and they're obedience, discipline, and compassion is is why is you know is, is what sums up why we pray i have a, a couple of scriptures in uh proverbs 3 27 and 28 it says do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act do not say mm-hmm. to your neighbor come back later and i'll give it tomorrow when you have it with you with you and what happened with that those scriptures is that i've been praying for for a family member for a long time and nothing was changing and i finally just got really fed up and said well i'm not going to pray anymore which i know was wrong and then i read in the word where i I came into these scriptures about do not withhold good from those who deserve it and you know and don't say come back later i'll give it tomorrow when you have it now and the lord was telling me when he's asking you to pray for somebody you drop what you're doing and you pray You, you don't say well i'll pray later i'm busy or i'll just pray tomorrow you just pray right then and there and and that's kind of what what i was um what I was thinking of, and, and, and especially the obedience, discipline, and compassion is why God has us pray. So anyways, I'll get off the phone and listen to your comments. <laughs> yeah, Cindy, I, I don't think I can improve on that much. I mean, that, that'll preach. Um, you know, the, the, the discipline, I think, is important. Now, I'm going to add a word to the three that you had. But, but, but first, discipline is important. You see... 
um, if we discipline ourselves to talk with God, then we're going to become more like God. We're going to get to know Him better. Um, we're going to reveal more of our heart to Him. We're not going to hold anything back from Him. That's the beauty. That's the value of conversation. But the word that I want to add, especially in light of the, the series that we're doing here at Calvary Chapel on marriage, um, this will be our third week. We have one more. We did one um, Friday night for the wives. Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord in everything. Uh, and then uh, last week, this week, and next week, we're going to be talking about the responsibility of the husbands. And, and so the word I would add to what you, you said, Cindy, is partnership. You know, obviously, God wants our marriages to be a partnership, but, but praying is, is taking it up a step because Jesus wants to partner with us in somebody's salvation. Jesus wants to partner with us as we demonstrate obedience and discipline and compassion. So when he puts somebody on your heart to pray, we should consider that a privilege. And I think too often we connect it directly to the results or the lack of results. But God says, no, no, no. I ask you to pray. Your faithfulness um, is going to be demonstrated by whether or not you do what I tell you to do. And it's really important. Now, Cindy, I'm going to say something. You know the you know this about me, but uh, and Paula, um, but but maybe many in the audience don't. Paula prayed for me for 13 years. What if she'd given up because she didn't get results? You know, Paula was keeping a journal during those years that she was praying for me, and her heart was broken and poured out in the pages of those journals. I, I read them now. Um, um, occasionally, not often anymore, but, but, but I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed of the pain that I caused her. And yet she didn't stop praying for me. Now, it took her a long time to get her heart right. She wasn't praying with the right motive. James says, you have not because you ask not or because you ask amiss. And the truth is that she was asking amiss. She wasn't asking for me. She was asking to make her life better. But in the course of the discipline of praying the Holy Spirit began to change your heart. And um, she and Jesus partnered in my salvation. And so when God asks us to pray, we need to pray. That's one of the wonderful privileges that we are permitted uh, as believers. We're, we're reaching heaven and earth simply through our prayers. Cindy, wonderful idea. I, I should have you give me some advice or some suggestions on our uh, on sermon topics that would be a good one 3409585 or toll free 877630KSLR Dylan says um, it's hard to have any hope at all because there now seems to be no real purpose in life Th- thoughts please um, you know, Dylan, the, the only place where there's no hope at all, and I realize that so many people that we're dealing with now are discouraged and losing hope. Um, but if, in fact, you're losing hope, all it means is that your hope was in the wrong thing or in the wrong person or in the wrong circumstance. The only world in which all hope is gone applies to those who are atheists, those who who don't believe there is a God, and, and, and truly, if they really don't believe that, then there is no hope for them. No purpose in life. But we know that's not true. 
So here's the thing, Dylan. We've got to put our hope on Christ. On yesterday's program, we had a couple of calls. That one of them was in a very nice way. This is a godly guy. He loves Jesus, but sort of taking me to task uh, because I wasn't um, espousing political activism uh, in in the wake of the election being lost by the uh, candidate. I think the majority of Christians anyway prefer. Um, and and what I tried to communicate then, and I'll do it again now, is that we truly need to have our hopes set on things above. Christianity isn't just something that we say we are. It's who we are. And too often when we say we're one thing uh, and yet we trust in something else, then we're not aware of the fact that, that we've put our hope in the wrong person or the wrong circumstance. So, Dylan, here's the thing you've got to understand. God's mercies are new every day. If you are a believer... You have hope every single day. You get a new start every single day. And all you have to do is look up. Read Psalm 46, especially the first three verses. Or take a walk with Jesus through the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23. But there's always hope. There is always hope. But your hope has to be in something substantive. And Jesus is the only one who will never disappoint. So, Dylan, open your Bible. Take walks with Jesus. Spend time alone with him. And what you're going to find is that hope comes flooding back in. Hope comes rushing back in. And all you have to do is go with him. Dylan, I'll be praying for you, but there's a lot of people who've learned after this election season, that their hopes were in the wrong thing or the wrong people. Gabriel says, is there any way I can know which denomination of Christianity is true? Um, Gabriel, you you know, there's a lot of them that are true, um, that they have differences, I don't think is a bad thing as long as um, all of us are united in the essentials of the historic Christian faith. I think it's really important. We can give liberty or freedom for people to disagree with us on non-essential items. Is, is, is tongues for today or tongues not for today? Uh, Calvinism versus Arminianism versus what we teach here, the balance between the two. Th- those aren't things that, that we should divide over, and yet people want to gather with people who hold the same beliefs that they do, so that's why denominations come in. Now, Gabriel, the early denominations, the mainline, older denominations in this country, aren't anything close to what they once were. That's something that's important to understand. And the reason they're not is because so many of them, um, uh, Episcopalians, um, um, they're an offshoot of the Anglican Church, um, the Methodist Church, especially the United Methodist Church, um, uh, Lutheranism and others, um, you know, they, they, they've just sort of thrown the Bible away. And so they don't have any anchor for what they believe. And so they've strayed from that which is true. But it's not the fact that they're a denomination that caused that. It's the fact that people threw away the Word of God. So, um, Gabriel, find a church that teaches the Bible. You'll find out what's true. God will fill you with His Spirit. 
uh, a, a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, and that way you know that you're on the true path. Jesus talked about two paths, one that was was wide and well-traveled, it was the road to destruction, and then another one that was narrow and few found it. That's the path to the truth. And truth, as I said earlier, is mutually exclusive. Two conflicting things cannot both be true. But there's a reason for the different denominations. There's a reason that there are different styles in church. People are different. Gabriel, I once had somebody come to me and say, Pastor Ron, I'm sure what you said was good, but I just can't receive from you because I need somebody to yell at me. So he can find a church that believes the Bible where it's going to be fire and brimstone. I, I've always believed that if I yelled at people or if I raised my voice in anger or even mock anger, that I'd be misrepresenting God. But here's a guy who told me that he needed me to yell at him. I said, this probably is not going to be the church where you're going to get fed. And that's okay. There are people that like um, a lot of emotion. Uh, they want to participate in the, in the service. Um, that's not the way we do it here at Calvary Chapel. But that doesn't mean that we are right and they're wrong. So the truth is going to be found in the essentials of our historic Christian faith. And Gabriel, if you will just hold on to those things, then you will find yourself on the path to truth no matter what church you're in. I hope that makes sense to you. Find a church, Gabriel, that... Um, that, that equips you, that feeds you, that you're getting the Word of God, a, a church that gives you the opportunity to serve, to use the gifts that God has given you. But equally important is find a church where you are loved and can love others. Don't make church like a social club. Don't just show up and then leave when it's over. You're a family. It's a part of a, a family, and you need to feel like you belong. And that's where you need to sit patiently and grow and keep asking God, what about me, Lord? What about today? And I promise you, you're going to find yourself right in the middle of the most glorious truth ever. Good question, Gabriel. Thank you very, very much. Here is our next question. I'm seeing if I have anybody on the line holding. I do not. Uh, Janet wants to know, uh, is there any way to know the true day of Jesus' crucifixion? Um, Janet, I think there is. Now, um, um, according to the, the widely accepted scholarship of Sir Robert Anderson, I think the book title is The Coming Prince, um, April 6, 32 AD, was the day that Jesus uh, rode into Jerusalem, the day that we call the Triumphal Entry Day or Palm Sunday, April 6, 32 AD, we've got to remember that Jewish calendars had 360-day years. And um, um, Sir Robert Anderson's scholarship uh, is, is, uh, presents a, a great evidence for, uh, for that date being official. That would mean that Friday, April the 11th in 32 AD is the day that Jesus died for your sins and for mine. Now, there are some who will find fault with that, but uh, I have found over the years that his scholarship uh, is impeccable. And um, those who are critical of that day, um, really, I think, Janet, um, they don't present a compelling case at all. So um, that's what I've been teaching for years. I always use it um, uh, every Palm Sunday, for sure. 
Um, and uh, I, I think it's pretty trustworthy. So Sir Robert Anderson, a wonderful old saint of God, who, of course, now is with Jesus, but um, The Coming Prince. And if you can find that book on the Internet, it's really worth having in your library. Good question, Janet. Malcolm says, can you explain purgatory and soul sleep? Yeah, I can say, Malcolm, that neither one of them is true. Uh, purgatory was, um, uh, and, and there's no, there's absolutely no biblical support for either of those um, um, theories. Uh, purgatory was simply a place, you know, people that were um, popularized in the Catholic Church. Um, uh, if you were baptized as a child or, or, or as an infant into the church, then you're going to be saved no matter what. Uh, and, and then the, to deal with the problem of, of people who um, didn't live their life for Christ. I mean, there's a lot of people who were baptized as an infant into the Catholic Church who lived like hell, literally, for their entire lives. And the Catholic teaching was that those people go to purgatory. Again, there's absolutely no biblical warrant for it whatsoever. And uh, then uh, there is a possibility in this sort of holding place uh, that they can be prayed out of purgatory and eventually sort of be refined by God in the fires and then be taken to heaven. And, and, and one of the problems, Malcolm, with, with that doctrine is, of course, only the Pope has the authority to transfer somebody from purgatory into heaven. Now, here's another obscenity as it relates to that. Um, in the... Uh, uh, fourth century and beyond. Uh, indulgences became quite the way for the Catholic Church to raise money. And one of the ways that they would raise money is they would say, look, you, you give us money. Uh, it's sort of what fueled the, 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 the renaissance of, of, of Catholic architecture. Um, you give us money and, and the Pope will move your loved one from purgatory into heaven, and that's the only way it can be done. So, um, again, I want to emphasize, Malcolm, it's not biblical, it's not true, uh, it's, it's, it's dangerous tradition uh, with no substance, no foundation at all. Soul sleep, um, you know, in the, in the first century uh, and beyond, um, sleeping was a euphemism for, uh, for death. Um, somebody would die, they would lay on the bed, and it looked like they're asleep, and so they say, oh, they're sleeping now. You remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead, uh, just prior to that, when Jesus got word that Lazarus was dead, he got up, he said, okay, let's go to Lazarus. But Lord, um, 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 he said, Lazarus sleeps, and they misunderstood him, and uh, Jesus told them plainly, no, Lazarus is dead. They misunderstood if he sleeps, he'll get better. They said, no, Lazarus is dead. So sleep was just a euphemism. And and for the life of me, Malcolm, uh, especially with Seventh-day Adventists and, and a few others, this idea of soul sleep is something they really want to hold on to. When the Bible clearly says, Second Corinthians chapter uh, 5 uh, in particular, but Philippians also uh, says the same thing, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So both of those things, Malcolm, purgatory and soul sleep, are false doctrines, uh, and I think they do a lot of damage. Anything that is not true, they do a lot of damage. 
So um, figure out where you're hearing these terms and just decide once and for all that, that those terms are false and you're simply not going to be confused by them any longer. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said in writing to the church at Philippi, he said, I don't know what to do. To die and be with Christ is better by far, but staying here in the body means fruitful labor or fruitful service. Um, how could dying be better if, in fact, we're just going to go into some hole and sleep for however many years it is until the resurrection of the dead in, in the book of Revelation? So, um, Malcolm, Bible, 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 you know it, and you won't get caught up by these kinds of false teachings. They're very, very dangerous. Good question. Let me see. i got one minute. If i got a question, I can do in a minute or not. Lenora says, What happens to people who never hear the gospel? Well, um, Lenora, and I'll probably have to come back to this on the, uh, on the other side of the break. Um, everybody is aware of God. Day after the, the heavens declare the glory of God day after day they pour forth speech um, there's no nation or language where they're not understood so everybody's accountable everybody's accountable I'm going to come back to this on the other side of the break we would love your live calls and questions to close out the week we've got 30 minutes left in the program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR we'll be back in two minutes Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. Can I ask people to pray, please? I My phone was going crazy um, during the first half of the show. Um, um, please pray for Henry and Mary. Uh, Henry is terminally ill, and uh, please pray for him. She asked for prayer uh, for Henry um, tomorrow, our corporate prayer, and... Uh, um, these are just hard things. So please keep Mary and Henry in your prayers, both believers. Um, and yet this is still obviously a really, really hard thing. So thank you for uh, your uh, prayers. Here's a question that just came into our email inbox from Eli. He said, Pastor Ron, my friend and I were talking about Hagar. And I mentioned how I believe she's in heaven because of her experience with God in the desert. He does not think she's in heaven. What do you think? Eli, there's no question that she's in heaven. Genesis chapter 16. I love this chapter. You can go to calvarysa.com and and you and your friend can listen to my teaching on it. But there is no question. That was her born-again experience. Now, it's an Old Testament construct, so it's not like yours and mine. But this is the moment that she put her faith in God. I see the God who sees me, she said. That was the name of the place because she saw God. And Jesus went and got her. And then in obedience, even though she knew she was going back into a life of servitude, in obedience, she obeyed. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Eli, there is no question that Hagar is in heaven, and Genesis chapter 16 is the place. Imagine how difficult it was for her. Um, She's pregnant. She's a hormonal disaster. She's being mistreated by Sarah, though Hagar did nothing wrong. And she finally can't take it anymore. She runs away, and Jesus meets her. 
and saves Ishmael, then saves her. Water just suddenly appears, and they're revived. And then she says, I see the God who sees me. And she learned at that moment that Jesus was always there. So, Eli, you're right, and that's not even one that we have to question. So um, I think that's um, case closed. Genesis 16. Here's a question from our email inbox from Richard. Um, He says, there's a lot of hope in this nation by some with the new presidency. Humankind and its history is foretold in the Bible. The imminent return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will usher in a new kingdom as all believers await on him. Should we as Americans and as Christians continue to hope that things get better, even as others try to make things worse? Not all take Jesus' words to heart when he said to love one another as he has loved us. I believe the use of the word love in this instance is the word phileo, which means brotherly love. Should we as Christians continue to hold out hope or just give up since we know what the outcome will be in this life? You know, um, one of the things that, that our caller yesterday said that we're called to occupy, Richard, until he comes. And the command to love one another, Paul says in, in Romans, that, that we, we have one outstanding debt, and it's a continuing, it's continuous present tense, it's active, we owe the, the outstanding debt of loving everybody. And I don't believe it's the word phileo. I may be wrong on that, Richard. But we are to love people. We're to love them with the love of Christ. And Romans 5.5 5 says that that love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And any Christian who would take the approach that, well, you know, things are just going to go to pot, so we might as well just give up and wait, that's to misunderstand the commission that Jesus has given us. You see, in these last days, our only mission is to win people. It's not to have a, a comfortable America. It's not to be comfortable as Christians. It's not even to have a righteous America. That ship has sailed, Richard. Our role is to tell the unrighteous about the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And so um, we're not to hold out hope for a better world. We're to hold out hope to be taken from this world when Jesus comes. And I think the problem is that too many Christians don't really live their lives as though Jesus is coming because they don't really believe he is. So when Jesus said that we're to love one another as he's loved us, did Jesus love us with phileo love? I don't think so. That's, that's brotherly love or love for brother. Over and over we're told that he loved us with agape love, unconditional love. For God so loved agape, the world, that he gave his only son. Well, our job is to love people that way. That means we've got to tell them about Jesus Christ. Now, here's the reality. Second Timothy chapter 3, Richard says that things are going to get worse. Now, that's not sort of doom and gloom, but, but we're told that to prepare us to be fruitful in those perilous times. But mark this, Timothy, in the last days, there will be perilous times. Now, there's always been perilous times in the last days, but all one has to do is look at the condition of our world. And we're in the last hours of those last days. Jesus is getting ready to return. And he doesn't tell us when because he wants us to keep doing the work that he's called us to do, that he's given us the gifts to accomplish. 
And if we don't realize that, Richard, then we're going to find ourselves being the, the lazy, wicked servants that Jesus talks about in, in his parables. So, no, we, we hold out hope, but our hope is in Christ. It is the only hope. And when we're doing what Jesus asks us to do, when we are given the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit to do it, even in the most difficult of times, there will be a fullness of joy that defies explanation. So yes, we, we know things are going to get worse. We know, as I mentioned on yesterday's program, that we, we get the government we deserve. And this country has turned away from God today, if I'm not mistaken, is the anniversary of the ruling Roe v. Wade. On this day, I don't know how many years ago, 1973, um, 47 days, 47 years ago, um, couldn't do the math that quickly, 47 years ago, we, we decided that it was a good thing to murder babies in the womb. A judgment has been looming over us for a long, long time. And I believe that we're in that time, but that makes us in a time. And I'll steal from Jesus in John chapter 4, when he was talking to the woman at the well. He said, the fields are ripe for harvest. And the only thing that matters is getting people saved. Not whether Republicans win or whether Democrats win. The only thing that matters, Richard, is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're the parable, uh, the, the, the instruments in the parable of the sower. We're to scatter seed everywhere we go. The seed being the word of God. What kind of soil it falls on, what kind of human hearts it falls on, that's not up to us. Our job is just to scatter it. And in these last days, it's never been more important. Final thought, Richard, is this. The people who say we're just supposed to give up, and I will add people who say, no, we're supposed to fight politically. Those are the people that won't accomplish anything at all for the kingdom of God. They may think they're doing something for the kingdom of this world, but remember, this is not our kingdom. And what we've got to do is tell people about Jesus. That's how we stand for righteousness, by standing with and for the righteous one. So I hope that answers your outcome or, or your question, Laura, uh, Richard, it, very simply, where to be about Jesus' business, plain and simple. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. here is a question from our email inbox from Alex. Pastor Ron, somebody told me that the church won't be raptured until the Antichrist is known. I thought we were going to be raptured before the Antichrist ministry. The verse they used was chapter 2, uh, verse 3 of Thessalonians. They placed the emphasis on until the man of lawlessness is revealed. So I thought the church would be with the Lord before the time is exposed, or before he's exposed. Does this interpretation interfere with the pre-trib view? I'm confused. Uh, Alex, uh, that's a misunderstanding of, of uh, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Um, um, it doesn't say the, until the man. It says the man 
of lawlessness, a man we call the Antichrist, uh, won't be revealed until the church is taken out of the way. So I don't know um, wh- where they're getting their punctuation, but that that same verse reinforces a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Uh, and, and we who are believers, we will not see the Antichrist. We won't know who he is. You know, that's why I tell people all the time, um, you know, I get a lot of questions about, well, who is the Antichrist? Do you know who he is? Is he alive? None of that matters because there isn't a single born-again Christian who's going to see the Antichrist until the church is taken out of the way. The man of lawlessness will not, cannot be revealed. So um, not only does it not interfere with the pre-trib view, uh, it reinforces it in your friends um, or whoever the someone is that told you um, his um, um, punctuation is all wrong. Um, you know, go to uh, Robertson's Word Pictures of the New Testament and look at that verse and, and look at the tenses and it's it's crystal clear that as long as the church is here, we're light the Holy Spirit will be removed. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit won't be here. He's God and he's omnipresent. But the, the, the witness of the Holy Spirit in the church is going to be taken away. And then the scene is prepared for complete and total darkness. And that's when this man is going to show up. So, um, Alex, hold on to what you know is true. Here is a question from Marcus from our email inbox as well. Pastor on my son, who is in middle school, is slowly falling into this progressive Christian ideology. I sat down and talked with him and explained why we must hold faithfully to the Word of God, and I've spent a lot of time teaching him the truth, but he still seems unconvinced. I told him that if you call yourself a Christian, then you will agree with the Word of God, and that one can't call themselves a Christian if they disagree with his words and actively live and walk against them. Uh, Marcus, you're, you're absolutely true. Um, um, let me re- continue reading. I was told that that was harsh to tell him because of his age. He's 13. I don't think I was harsh, but I'm aware I could be mistaken. I wasn't mean when I said it, but I stated it very plainly. Was I too harsh? How does your youth ministry, middle school or high school, deal with these things? Marcus, we deal with them exactly the way that you do. Exactly the way that you do. There's there's no room for, for um, um, waffling, sort of, in this idea. Every single one of us has got to make a decision. Now, here's the problem. This is why um, once I used to say, you know, if you feel led to send your children to secular schools, um, go ahead and do it. Just equip them. But, 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 but these kids now are being brainwashed from the earliest grades. And honestly, the people that teach them People that write their textbooks um, usually carry more weight than mom and dad does at home. So my first suggestion would be get your kid out of public school. Get him into a Christian school, homeschool him. Um, we have a free school here, so I'm a big fan of of, of um, the social factors of, of being in school rather than homeschool. But but we've got to retrain their mind. Romans chapter 12 says that we need to be renewed or or, or transformed by the renewing of our place, where he is uh, rebellion just sort of pours out of uh, out of everything that he is. 
um, uh, he's looking to argue and find fault. Now, there's nothing wrong with him asking questions. But Marcus, what I would do is I'd sit with him and answer his questions. And there are are answers for every question that he's going to come up with. Every single one. There are legitimate, godly answers given in the Word of God. This is a time for you to be with your family uh, in the Word every day. Um, not not talking about commitment of hours. I'm just talking about um, you sit down with your family and read the Bible to them and talk to them about these things. Family devotions. Because if you don't do that, then the world that they live in is going to fill that void. And... Um, you know, the progressive Christian ideologies are not Christian ideologies at all. Um, we teach the Bible um, verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter to our youth, junior and high school age kids. And the result is they are thriving. Now, that doesn't mean every junior high or high school that comes to Calvary Chapel is a Christian. But what it means is that we have thriving, spirit-filled ministries where the majority of those kids know and love Jesus and practically walk with Him every day. So that's how we deal with it. You were not too harsh, and whoever told you that you were harsh is in danger of compromising themselves. So Marcus, pray for your child, read him the Word, and talk to him. It's very, very important. It's life or death. It really is literally... Uh, life or death. We got a call in from Billy. Thank you, Billy. He said Agape was correct in that passage of Scripture, and I thought it was. So um, phileo was not the right use of the word there. Billy, thank you for that. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585. Let me get back to Lenora's question that I, I only had a minute with. Um, she wondered, what happens if people never hear the gospel? Uh, Romans chapter 1 says that, that everybody has the witness of creation. Everybody has a witness of conscience. When we don't do something because we don't feel it's right, that's a gift that God has given to us that helps reveal who He is. And so with with the, the, the witness of creation, the witness of conscience, conscience um, if God opens a heart and people seek Him, even if somebody's raised in a different religion, but they want to know, how do I know this is God? I want to know the real God. Jesus will reveal himself to them. If you seek me, I will be found by you, he said. He's a rewarder of those who earnestly or diligently seek him. So, Lenore, we don't have to worry about that. God is fair and God is just, but the really important thing here is that it's God's desire. Anybody that gives any kind of a um, an inkling that they're interested in who God is, God is going to reveal himself to them. And that revelation is ultimately going to end up in the person of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to worry about the man or the woman that never hears the gospel. People are, Romans 1 says, accountable for what they do with what they know. They're never accountable for what they do with what they don't know. So that's something you've got to understand. God is just. God loves people. It's his initiative that saves people. The fact that somebody is raised in a Christian home uh, is of no consequence when it comes to getting saved. Everybody has to make an individual decision. I always think, and I mentioned this in, in a program earlier this week, of the Ethiopian eunuch. 
uh, a convert to Judaism, a proselyte. Um, Philip was in Samaria. God stopped a successful ministry there. So Philip, go down to Gaza. And he was transported supernaturally. And right beside this caravan where this important man, um, the eunuch of Queen Candace, um, was reading Isaiah. He was rewarded for his seeking. And by the way, Menorah, that um, that eunuch went back and shared the gospel with Queen Candace. She got saved. And that Christian church in Ethiopia is the longest continuous running Christian church in the history of the world. So don't worry about them. Just pray. And if you get really hung up, and I've had a lot of people say, what about the people who never hear? Well, then you maybe God's calling you to be a missionary. Go tell people. But let's start with your neighbors. Let's start with your family members and see what God will do. Clint asks, what do the stories of Noah and Lot have to do with the rapture of the church? And the stories, Clint, really don't have anything to do with the rapture of the church. Uh, however, they are a picture of the rapture in the church. Let me explain. Noah is a type of Israel. Um, Noah was sealed in, sealed by God uh, in the ark for seven days before the rain started. And then God preserved them through the tribulation of the flood um, and brought them through it safely. Well, in the same way, he's going to do that for Israel. So Noah is a type of Israel going through the Great Tribulation, but coming out of it. And Lot, righteous Lot. Now, we don't, we wouldn't know that he was righteous if Peter didn't tell us in his epistle. Um, Peter says that Lot was vexed in his, um, and, and it's because he was righteous. Uh, he was what we would call a, a believer. Um, certainly a compromised believer or a backslidden believer, whatever term you want to use. But you remember when the destroying angels, they were with Jesus, but Jesus sent them. And they told Lot uh, that the destruction was going to come. And he was sort of dragging his feet. And they said, I cannot do anything until you are out of here. And they grabbed him by the wrist and snatched him away. And when they snatched him away, that's when judgment came. Well, the same thing happens during the rapture until we are out of here as Christians. Why? Because we've been made righteous by the blood of Christ. God can't begin the great tribulation. The great and dreadful day of the Lord. It's a seven-year uh, event. The great tribulation. God can't do that until we're out of here. What did God say to Abraham when Abraham started negotiating with him? When, when God told Abraham, because Abraham was his friend, God told him uh, about the judgment that was going to fall on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham asked him the question, will the righteous judge of all the earth not do right? How can you judge the righteous with the wicked? And then they started negotiating, find 50 righteous people, or 40, and then all the way down to 10. And, and uh, at every step, Jesus said, okay, if I find 50, if I find 20, if I find 10, I will not judge. But he couldn't find them. And so the few righteous just write in his sons and his daughters-in-law only 
righteous lot. I, I said his sons, I mean his daughters. Uh, they were the only ones. Even even Lot's wife was destroyed. Compromised Lot's witness was. So they're just pictures, Clint. The, the stories don't actually have anything to do with it, but they're wonderful pictures. There are others, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, Daniel, the beloved, is nowhere in that that uh, chapter where they're in the fire. Um, they're a picture of Israel going through the Great Tribulation. Daniel, the beloved, is a picture not even there. He's absent from the fire. So there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, if you are interested... You can go to uh, our website, calvarysa.com, go to Revelation chapter 4, and the very first study I do is always on the rapture of the church. And uh, you can listen to that, and I talk about all of the Old Testament types, or many of the Old Testament types, who are um, um, Old Testament pictures of us being taken out before the rapture of the church. Good question. Final question today. Dwayne says, why do some preachers have bodyguards? Um, Dwayne, I don't know. Um, To be fair, uh, it's not a faith issue, I don't think. I think sometimes it might be an ego issue. But to be fair, um, preachers are public people. They're scary people out there. And um, we get threats. Just very candid, we get threats from people. Uh, and and um, some have decided that bodyguards uh, are the way to go. Um, I I I just I couldn't ask anybody to do that. And personally, I'm not important enough for to worry about that. But the truth is that there are some who uh, have had attempts on their lives. Uh, I have a I had a friend. He's no longer a friend. He's completely walked away from the Lord. But one uh, one way glass, um, he got beat nearly to death by somebody, and nobody could see it because they could see out, but the people out there couldn't see in. So it's just some people need feel the need for bodyguards. That's all I can say. Hey, thanks for tuning in. It's been a good week on the program. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Go to church this week with one heart. That's just, Jesus, who can I minister the love of God to? He'll use you, I promise. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday. See you then.